So a few weeks ago in June, I had the opportunity to participate in the International Christian Medical and Dental Association Congress in Arusha, Tanzania. This is a convention attended by individuals from Christian, different Christian medical associations from all over the world. And we have a slide here. It's a little bit hard to see, but this is a picture of the opening ceremonies. Uh, we had, there were individuals or representatives from every country uh, carrying their flags at the end of those opening ceremonies into the auditorium. So you, you just get a sense of, of the uh, international uh, feel of the conference um, and just how broad and encompassing it, it was. There were over a thousand people who attended the conference from 106 different countries. We spent time in worship, in different plenary sessions, in small breakout groups. And during that time, I met people from Uganda, Kenya, Congo, Pakistan, India, Netherlands, Norway, South Africa, Northern Ireland, Thailand, Honduras, Guatemala, Hungary, England, Tanzania, and Myanmar. That was just in our, our interactions uh, during our breaks and, and worship and, and breakout groups. Many of these individuals came from areas of war and famine and political instability, natural disasters. Yet in spite of all these obstacles, it was clear from these meetings that the church is still flourishing. At times, it's difficult to really see and understand the body of Christ. But when we get together uh, in times like these, this is surely a picture of it. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, that no one could number from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So this is the church to which we belong. And as we go through this period, this year of vision casting and, and listening to the plans that God has for us, uh, stepping into those plans, what we're really doing is saying yes. We're saying yes to God's story. We're saying yes to being part of his story. And what an exciting story that is to be a part of. So now someone's going to read this scripture. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And from Acts 4, verses 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. All right. Get ready to participate today. Today, I, I said I feel a little bit more like a game show host today than a pastor because uh, we're going to be doing a lot of activities. But uh, kids, we're going to start. There's, there's a little green sheet of paper. Uh, this is anybody up through core age. So up through high school, you get to participate in this. We're going to play a game called Pastor's Password. All right? And... Here's the thing. you got to guess what word I'm thinking of. All you write down on this sheet of paper is one word, and then you put your name on it so I know who it is. All right? And five bucks if you can guess this word. All right? And the word I'm thinking of, in my mind, perfectly describes what it means to live as a Christian. Just write one word on that sheet of paper of what it means to live as a Christian. One word that describes the Christian life. In just one word. Okay, take a second. Do it. If all of you get it right, I'm going to have some IOUs. Because I just have five bucks on me. And that'll be fine. I'll make sure to pay up my bills, my debts here. I'm going to come around and gather them. You guys done at this table? One word. You just get one word. You You guys got it? You're thinking about this. There's five bucks on the line. Good. You got it, Z? All right. Eden. Okay. Matthew, you didn't want to guess? Anybody else? Okay. You got one. Lydia. Okay. Jesus is always the right answer. That's a great guess. Who else, who else is doing a guess? All right, you guys got one? Okay. Good. All right, I'm collecting them so you can't cheat and put the word on there afterwards. Let's see. Okay, I don't have time to go through them all. And there's a lot of good words up here, I can already tell. But the word is thankful. Eden, nice job. The word is thankful. Okay, I didn't read them all, but I, I just saw Eden's. So here's your five bucks. If you put thankful down, come see me afterwards, and uh, I'll write you an IOU, all right? But thankful, I mean, seriously, I've thought about this a lot over the years, um, you know, as Christians, we really don't have anything else to offer God, right? I mean, everything we receive as Christians is a gift. 
Right? That's what grace means. It just means it's a gift. It's undeserved. God gives us everything, our salvation, as a gift. Jesus died and rose again for us to save us. And now all we can offer back to God is our thankfulness, our gratitude for everything that he's done for us. And this is actually how we're supposed to live the entirety of the Christian life. So we don't obey Jesus because we're trying to earn our salvation, right? We obey him because we couldn't earn it, and God did everything for us to save us, and so we're just thankful, right? We don't give to the poor because um, we're, we have to. We give because God was so generous and gave to us in our poverty. He gave us everything, made us incredibly rich in Christ. We're not kind to people because, oh, that's going to you know, score us some points for all eternity. No, we're kind to people because God was first kind to us, right? So everything good in our lives, literally everything good in our lives, comes as a result of thankfulness. It's just an outflow of thankfulness in our lives. And today, in our passage, we get to see the church as a community that is thankful to Jesus as they remember their rescue. This is what, this picture in Acts, this is a picture of what it looks like when a community of people remembers and lives in light of their rescue. They become thankful generous and joyful people. And I don't know about you, but when Jack's reading this passage and when I was studying this week, it feels a lot like Thanksgiving, doesn't it? Like a holiday feast time. Um, All these people gathered together. Uh, How many of you love Thanksgiving time of year? Or, you know, just the holidays in general. You You got the food, you got the music, you've got, you know, lots of friends and family gathered around, all kinds of rejoicing. Everybody's hearts are glad And typically we think of Thanksgiving as a time of year where we go around the table, okay, what are you thankful for? And we actually give thanks. But here at Life Church, as John mentioned, we actually have a season where we take those two words apart. Usually we do this at the beginning of Advent to kind of curb off of um, us a lot of the American consumerism idea. But we we celebrate a season of thanks and giving, right? Um, And we think that's exactly what's going on here in the book of Acts as well. They're not just giving thanks, but they're expressing thanks, and it leads to a lifestyle of giving and sharing with one another. And kids, when you think of what the church should be, I want you to think of it as a community of eternal thanks and giving. It's like one big, long Thanksgiving holiday. We're giving thanks to God, and we're giving and sharing with one another and with the community around us. That's what the church should be. It's this feast-like atmosphere where everyone's thankful, joyful, and giving to one another. And I think God actually designed his church to be a place like this, a place of eternal thanks and giving. And we have to remember that we're not just doing this now, but we're going to be operating this way for all eternity. And when you read the end of the Bible in Revelation, as Brent mentioned, it's this huge multi-ethnic community, this huge multi-ethnic family of God feasting together worshiping together, working together, playing together, and it's just this giant community of thanks and giving. So we're starting this now, but it's going to continue forever and ever, and that's why it's really important that we as a faith community get this right. We want to be a community of eternal thanks and giving. And so um, as we go, kids, I've got four points from these passages that Jack read about what it means for us to be a community of eternal thanks and giving. All right, and the first one is this. Being a community of eternal thanks and giving is just how God designed the church to work. It's how it works. And if we're not that way, it doesn't work. All right? Look at um, 
uh, verse 34 of chapter 4, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed as any had need. So this is how they were functioning. This is, this is how the church operated and took care of itself. So we're going to play a little game. At your table, there's an envelope, and this is called cooperative squares, all right? This is, the church was basically a game of cooperative squares, and there's some rules on the front of this game. It takes about five people, um, so uh, read the instructions on the front. There's no speaking. There's no motioning. You have um, five envelopes with different shapes, and the goal is to make five identical squares out of those shapes. You can't speak to one another. You can't gesture. All you can do is share and give. All right? So somebody captain the game. Once you start, hand out an envelope to each player around the table. Kids, if you want to join, your parents will help you. Okay, buddy. Can you take your pieces out? Remember, you cannot ask for any squares. You look at each other's squares. There's no talking, no table talk. You're only allowed to give squares to another person. The goal is to make five equal squares. See, your table's done already? Okay. You guys are done already? Anybody else done already? Keep working at it. I'm going to give one more minute.
Sure, the car. I'm not sure about that one. Hey, all right, way to go, you guys. Yes. Okay, 20 seconds. You're done. Way to go, Mason. Okay. You are welcome to finish your cooperative squares later. Z, what's something you noticed about how to be successful with cooperative squares? Um, just look at the piece you need until they notice that you're looking at it. <laughs> Stare at the piece you need until the other person gets it. <laughs> no, the point of this game is like you have to give in order to, to have the whole team be successful, right? Everybody has to share with one another or it's not going to work. Um, and I love that because that's the way that the church operates. There's one more example we're going to do here. If that one didn't land because you couldn't get your squares to work, one more chance at it. Okay, I need 10 volunteers from the kids. And parents, you'll see why it probably should be kids. Um, yep, come on up, Mason. Come on up, you guys. If the kids, if I don't have 10 kids, I'm going to go to the adults. Good. One, two, three. Come on up. Okay, everybody take a long spoon. Oh, oh. I know what this is going to be. Okay, Aria. <laughs> this is going to be really interesting. Okay, now, everybody get in a circle around this little table. Everybody got a spoon? Do we have ten? Okay. As you don't have one. Okay, we got ten exactly. Okay, so here's the rules, you guys. You have to hold the spoon at the very end. So, Aria, can I show you here, honey? Can you hold it right here? Now, I want you to dip that spoon in the Skittles and try to feed yourself. Nope, you cannot choke up on it. No cheating. You have to hold it at the very end. Z got, Z got a couple in his mouth. Okay, okay. Wait, wait, wait. No more tries. We won't have enough Skittles. We won't have enough Skittles. Okay. Now, hey. Just take a, take a quick break. They cannot leave the spoon. Quick break. Now I want you to feed one another. Feed one another some Skittles. See how it goes. Somebody feed Aria. Aria wants a couple Skittles. Aria, look at that. Look at that, sweetie. Yeah. Okay. You guys can take your spoons and a couple Skittles back to your tables. Good job. I think there's a 20-minute rule on the Skittles, too, if you want some after church. 
There's a lot of them on the floor. So there's this parable, there's this parable of the long spoons. And the parable goes like this. There were two feasts happening. One was in hell, and they all have these long spoons, all kinds of good food, but nobody could eat because they insisted on trying to feed themselves. And the other community is in the new earth, and they were feasting because they insisted on feeding one another. And that's the way that the church operates. You see that in this passage here? The Christians are selling their possessions. They're sharing with those in need. And in turn, the whole community flourishes and is, is, and is taken care of. You know, one time it might be that you're the one giving of your possessions so that somebody else in the community has what they need. And the next time, you might have fallen on hard times and you're the person that's receiving the help that's needed. That's how the church works. That's how the church is taken care of. It's kind of the only kind of communism that works, right? It's like when our hearts are right and renewed, we're all working hard. We're all willfully giving to one another as people have need, and it works. We see that here in the church in Acts. It actually works. We're going to have an opportunity today at the end of the service to give to what we call the Benevolence Fund here at Life Church. And we don't talk about the Benevolence Fund a lot, but I absolutely love that our church has a Benevolence Fund. And the Benevolence Fund is this way that we operate as a community of eternal thanks and giving. People give to the Benevolence Fund over the course of the year. And over the course of the year, we meet needs, real felt needs in our community as a church and even in the community and uh, people outside of the church. Um, we help with things like rent and utilities and car repairs, um, counseling fees, all kinds of things like that. Most of the giving, pretty much all of the giving is done through the community outreach, but it's a really, really cool way for people in here to be cared for by one another and for us to um, care for people in the community that come to us in need. And so we're going to have an opportunity to do that. But that's the first big idea we see in this passage. Being a community, an eternal community of thanks and giving, is just how the church works. That's how God designed it. It's like a community of long spoons or a game of cooperative squares. Which brings us to the second thing. Being a community of eternal thanks and giving draws the presence and the power of God. Look at verse uh, 43 of chapter 2. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So we've looked at this before in Acts, but there's some crazy things going on um, in this new church in Acts. Like people are getting healed, um, unbelievable miracles being done all the time. And so what we, what we at least know for sure is God is very pleased with this church with how they're operating. He's pleased with them being this community of thanks and giving, and he has chosen to inhabit their presence and do wonders among them. Um, it's just obvious here in Acts. Being this kind of a community of thanks and giving attracts his presence and his power is poured out upon his people. Now, of course, we don't want to do anything to say, oh, that, this will allow us to manipulate God. If we act like a, a community of thanks and giving, then God will do miracles around us. We're not after the miracles. We just want to be a thankful people for everything that God has given us, everything that God has done in us. And one of the cool byproducts of that is God comes in and does unthinkable things amongst that group of people. It's amazing. So, being a community of thanks and giving it's how the church works. It draws the presence and power of God. But thirdly, being a community of eternal thanks and giving fills us with joy. 
Look at verse 46 of chapter 4. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Have you ever noticed how tied together your joy is to your thankfulness? Have you ever noticed that? Like, there's been a lot written on this. A lot of psychologists, mental health professionals have written books on, you know, keeping a thankfulness journal. But just the idea of the more thankful you are day by day in your life, the more your level of joy goes up. Um, it's, just, it's just how God wired us. And the same thing is true with giving. Right up there with thankfulness, one of the top joy producers in our lives is giving. Uh, Jesus said it would be that way, right? He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I had a, a professor um, at seminary who insisted when he would go out to lunch with other people, he would insist on picking up the tab, and he always said, nope, I get the blessing today. And I always thought that's really cool because he's putting to practice the words of Jesus, right? He was really convinced that it's actually more blessed to give than to receive, and that's not the way we operate, right? We think, if I get, then I'll be happier. If I accumulate more, that's where I'll find joy. And the scripture today says, nope. That's not where, that's not where joy is found. It doesn't produce joy. Thanks and giving, that's the recipe for joy. It produces joy in us. So being a community of eternal thanks and giving is how God wired the church to work. It draws God's presence and power. It produces joy in us. But finally, being a community of eternal thanks and giving is a witness to the world. Look at chapter five, uh, 4, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon all of them. And then in verse two, or chapter 2 of 47, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's really only one thing that can transform a community of people into what we see here in Acts, and this, this people of eternal thanks and giving, and that's the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's the only thing that can really transform us and make us like this. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he comes in and fills us with his life, his joy, his thankfulness, and his generosity. That's what happens. That's what takes place here. And then we become a powerful, powerful witness to the world. I mean, what else could produce this kind of community, you might ask? Like if this was just like some people who were making up a lie, there are actually people that think that, that the apostles were making up a lie about Jesus. Never mind that all of them gave their lives for this lie. But how, how do you explain the radical transformation in their lives? How do you explain the radical, eye-popping generosity? This is crazy. When we live this way, friends, as a community of thanks and giving, it causes the world to ask questions. It causes them to wonder, what is different about those weird people? And I'll tell you, as a pastor, this is one of the great privileges of my life, is I get to see that look of confusion on people's faces. I'm talking mostly about people in the community as they come to our church with various needs. Needs for rent, needs for car repairs, needs because their electricity is going to get turned off, things like that. Needs because they need counseling or whatever. And we get to look them in the face and say, we would love to help you. And I'm telling you, through the community outreach, even the past several months, we've given away thousands of dollars to people in this community who are, have real needs. 
And a lot of times after they receive it, they're like, so what's the catch? Like, your church just wants to help me? Why? I get to look at them and say, well, Jesus was so generous with us. Our people like to be generous and give too. I mean, he gave his life for us, right? What else, what else could we receive? God made us filthy, filthy rich in Jesus, and now his people just like to give all sorts of gifts. It makes them wonder why it's a powerful witness to those around us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian yet, uh, here's the rule. You might be thinking, oh, great, when's the time when he's going to ask us to give today? Because we're talking about thanks and giving, and I came on the wrong Sunday. Here's the deal. Jesus never asked anyone to give until they've received first. We never, ever ask you to give until you first received everything from Jesus. He offers you complete forgiveness of your sins. He's died and risen again for you. You come and receive that gift today, you become filthy rich, and you will want to start giving. You just want to. The Holy Spirit will begin to transform you. But you never start with giving. You always start with receiving. So there's going to be people up here to pray with you. If you would like to receive that free gift of salvation in Jesus today, we would love to introduce you to him. But for the rest of us, we're going to feast again today at the Lord's table. As a community of eternal thanks and giving, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, different than we did last week, right? Last week was all about remembering our rescue, just like the children of Israel as they remembered their exodus, leaving Israel as they remembered how the, the Lamb's blood was shed for them. We remember that Jesus' blood covers us. Well, this week, in light of our rescue, in light of remembering that, we're going to feast now, if some of you have been, if maybe you have Catholic friends or if you've been in other churches, a lot of times the Lord's Supper is called the Eucharist, which can be kind of a, oh, what does that mean? It just means thanksgiving. It comes from the Greek word eucharista, which means thanksgiving. This is the feast of thanksgiving. And so that's what we're going to experience together. Jeannie's made us an incredible spread. And I'm telling you, sometimes communion can be a little bit somber and reflective. Please do not do that today. Today is a feast of celebration. Today should be a lot like Thanksgiving around your tables. We have breadsmith bread. Sorry, you gluten-free folks. We have a little bit of sad gluten-free bread at the end of the table for you. Um, and we have sparkling grape juice. Kids, I know you love sparkling grape juice. But we're going to pray. Um, Lydia, who just did such an awesome job with the worship today, she's going to pray over the elements and bless them. Then I will give the words of blessing to all of you, and then we're going to distribute. I'm going to ask the elders to come up, distribute the elements to your table, and you just feast, give thanks in your heart, let your hearts overflow with thanksgiving, and then we're going to have an opportunity at the end to give to the Benevolence Fund specifically to take care of one another. This little pot here, as you're feasting, you can come up and just drop any offering you have in there for the Benevolence Fund, and that will go for that, okay? So, um, Lydia, would you come up and, and bless this? You know, some of you um, may wonder where the tradition of blessing our food comes from. It's just, a, you know, an ancient Christian tradition of practicing our, our thanks to God throughout the day. As we come to our meals even, it's a reminder, like, everything we have is a gift from God, right? And so at our Eucharist, at our Feast of Thanksgiving, we're going to bless the food and give thanks for it. So, Lydia, come on up. Lord, we are so thankful for everything that you have done for us, but especially that you died on the cross when it should have been us. 
we thank you for everything, and we hope that you will bless this communion that we are about to have. Thank you. Thanks, Lydia. Okay. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, eat it now and live as a community of eternal thanks and giving. The blood of Jesus, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins, drink it and live as a community of eternal thanks and giving. If the elders would please come and distribute the food to the tables, and then you may feast. We'll give you several minutes to just enjoy at your tables.